Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jericho, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Hereb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not consumed. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. <clears throat> then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in, the, in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prestacites, the Hiveites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, 
I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Prestacites, the Hiviites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to you. Your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her home, house. For silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So shall so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the need, the word of the Lord. Friends, let's join together with brothers and sisters around the world and with the communion of saints who have gone before us as we confess our Christian faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you guard our hearts, open our minds, our ears, our willingness to follow you as we look at your word today. Holy Spirit, would you uh, encourage us and remind us of the calling you have upon our lives. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight. Lord God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sometimes God does very dramatic things to get our attention. Sometimes those can be good things, surprising moments. Sometimes we are knocked off course by a sudden death or tragedy, something that seems bad. God uses these moments to get our attention. And I think this whole situation with COVID-19 is a wake-up call for the world, for the church, maybe for you personally, to turn to God, to seek spiritual renewal, 
to be repentant, to be in prayer, to care for our neighbors, to live out the gospel of Jesus. We are going about our lives and suddenly something changes. Suddenly God speaks. Suddenly life takes a turn. And in that moment, we can choose to call out to God to hear what he has to say or not to. But suddenly, life as we know it changes. This is the case we find in our passage today with Moses. He's now 80 years old and he's attending his father's sheep. He's a shepherd, not of his own sheep, of Jethro, his father-in-law's. He's still a wanted murderer in Egypt. He's still the unwanted deliverer of the Hebrews. Life has not gone for Moses as he may have dreamed it would. He has not fulfilled some great destiny. It may be that we think Moses is something of a write-off, and perhaps he even thought so too, but God didn't think so. I may think I'm nobody, but God doesn't. And thankfully, God's call and initiative in your life is not contingent on your self-perception. You may think, I've gone too far, I've sinned too much, I'm too much of a broken person. But the cross of Jesus Christ says no one is too far from the love of God. No one is beyond my reach. I've come to rescue even you. It's entirely by God's grace and invitation that we enter into relationship with him. It's never too late, friends, to choose to follow God and to choose to be in a relationship with Jesus, to live for him. Here Moses is 80 and he's about to discover a brand new phase of his life, the phase he's most known for. You may feel you're beyond a certain point in years, that maybe your best years are behind you. Not so in God's economy. Uh, at any point in our lives, we can make the choice to follow what God has for us. His life, Moses' life, had taken a turn 40 years ago when he'd fled as an exile to Midian. Since then, he's learning to shepherd. He's learning the shepherding life, we could say. The life of a husband, the life of a father. Not realizing that this ordinary life was actually his training in his calling. Did you know that ordinary life, everyday life, is often the place where God prepares us. It's the place where God is at work and shapes our hearts and our character. Don't for a moment dismiss the call to ordinary, everyday life of raising children, going to work, planting gardens, paying the bills, changing diapers. This is a wilderness ground, a fertile ground, a wilderness university, perhaps, of spiritual formation for Moses. And indeed, it's the everyday life that is so often the place of our discipleship as children of God, as followers of Jesus. It's here that Moses is prepared to listen when God speaks. And what about you? If God were to try and get your attention today, if he is trying to talk to you, would you have ears to listen? Or is your life too busy? Are you too full of noise and distraction, both outwardly, but also perhaps internally 
as well. Your thoughts, your emotions, your being feels full of distraction and noise and anxiety. So much so that perhaps you feel you have no time or no ability to heed the still small voice of God. I encourage you to foster an ability to listen to the heartbeat of God. Moses is able to watch, able to listen. He's taken the material of his ordinary life and allowed it to shape his character. Let me read for you verses 2 to 4 of chapter 3. Again, here we are. Moses is leading the flock west into the wilderness. And here in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Moses sees the bush on fire but it's not consumed. This passage begins not with Moses per se, but with God, with what God is going to do in Moses' life. And all of God's work, God's work in your life, his work in my life, his work in our church, his work in the world, it's not work initiated by us, it's work that's always begun by God. Every prayer that we pray is not so much initiated by us as much as it is a response to the God who is already at work. Our prayer is a responding speech, Eugene Peterson calls it, answering speech. We're responding with thankfulness or adoration or lament or confusion or anger, whatever it is, in response to what God has done, who he is and what he's doing. Now notice the order of events here. The bush is burning Then Moses looks, sees that it's not consumed, and then he chooses to turn aside and see it, to look and see the great sight. And verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. God has begun this. He's initiated it. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to listen, that's when God called to him. I think the key for us here to remember is when Moses is willing to listen and Moses turns to see when he opens himself to what God wants to do, that's when God speaks to give his word. A question for us is, are we willing to listen today? Are we able to discern when God is speaking? Do you make space each day to sit and abide in his presence Are you able to listen? When God looks at you, does he find someone who wants to hear what he has to say? It's when Moses turns aside to listen, spends the time to engage God, that God speaks to him. Notice God's first words here. He calls him by name, Moses, Moses. And he responds, here I am. But what's God saying? He says, I know you. I know your story. I know your parents. And friends, today you need to hear that God speaks your name. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows your past. He knows your sins. He knows your future. He knows 
you and what he's created for you to do and who you are called to be. A few times God says a name twice, Abraham, Abraham, Samuel, Samuel, Simon, Simon, Martha, Martha, Saul, Saul. What is God calling to you in this moment? Is God uh, calling your name? I think he is. And are you ready to hear what he would have to say in that moment? Moses is receptive. And suddenly two things happen. Let me read to you the next two uh, verses again, just to remind ourselves. Verse 5. God says, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. That's just the one verse, verse 5. And then verse 6, uh, he calls Moses into his identity as his, uh, in his family line. But first, verse 5 here. Two things happen. God stresses that he is indeed God and that his presence is not to be trifled with. First, he says, stop. Don't come any closer. Moses is coming close to check it out. He has a curious mind. He's coming to investigate. But God tells Moses, stop. There is a separation between you and I. Stop. The second thing he says is take your sandals off your feet. This is about humility. The poorest and most needy would have no shoes. Maybe servants in the day, we suspect, would often go about barefoot. There's something here about recognizing the immediacy of God's presence. When you go, if you're a Canadian, when you go to someone's house, you tend to take your shoes off most commonly. Moses is in God's house. This place is sacred. You're in God's presence. And so there's an understanding here that God is trying to give to convey. Stop. You can't come in here flippantly. Remove your sandals. There's an understanding of God's holiness and power that is essential for us folks to get through our heads, to remember. And this is why our sin is such a big deal. It severs us from relationship to this holy God. That's why we can say the work of Jesus is so remarkable and life-changing. Where before we wouldn't dare to come closer, now we are told we can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find help in our time of need. Jesus now is our mediator into the holy presence of God. We don't come flippantly, but we can come lovingly and boldly. And our worship should reflect that. Jesus is not just my buddy. He's the holy lamb of God who died for my sin. He is my friend. Yes, he is my brother, but he is still my Lord and my God. And so God is establishing his holiness with Moses. And Moses, verse 6, hides his face. He's afraid to look at God, which is appropriate as a creature before their creator. Even the glorious cherubim, we read, that surround the throne of God, worshiping him day and night, cover their faces with their wings. Moses is a sinful creature here in the presence of the holy. And notice how God is setting up the separation between them. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are not. You hide your face. God does not need to. There's a separation between God and man, and that is good to keep in mind. You and I are not God, period. 
There is a God who is enthroned and alive and at work today, and you and I are not him. God is holy other. And so verse 6 establishes God's holiness. But then we get to verse 7, where God establishes his compassion. He says he's seen the oppression, the pain, the brokenness of his people. God is other, but he is full of love and care for us. God is separate from us, but he's not distant. God is not us, and yet he cares for you and for your needs. In verse 6, he's establishing his holiness, but in verse 7, he establishes his love for us. And then we get the mission verses 8 to 10. He says, I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We get this sense, first of all, I've come down to deliver them. This is God doing the work. Great, awesome. God's coming to to act on his people's behalf. Brilliant. And then it's like it turns, verse 10. Come, I'll send you. What? God, are you serious? You know, it's all great. God's going to do it. Great, great, great. Yeah, and you're involved in it. Oh, great. No, I don't want to be. Who's doing the work here? Who's coming to the rescue? Is it God or is it Moses? And God's answer is yes, both. God wants to do something in and through Moses. God wants to do something in and through you. That's how God loves to work in us. God chooses to work through broken human vessels. He wants us to participate in his project of redemption. 2 Corinthians 6, 1-6 says we are workers together with him. It's like we're fellow workers, partners in God's endeavors in the world. Why would God want this? It's certainly not efficient, right? No, he, he does this because he loves to be in relationship with us. We draw close to him as we enter into this relationship, when we work together in cooperation with him. I remember in my first year of Bible school, we used to put on this event, Senior High Weekend at Eston, a big youth retreat. And I got to be part of the construction team. And we were transforming our lounge into uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we decided we were going to bring in some trees and reconstruct them in the lounge. And I was paired with my friend, Nigel Richards. Nigel, if you see this, love you, buddy. It's been too long. But Nigel and I went out on this quest to find trees that we could cut down and then reassemble in the lounge to make this sort of garden. And I remember working with Nigel, cooperating with Nigel in the task that had been assigned to us. And, and that, that uh, blossomed into a really enjoyable friendship for the next four years. That was part of growing together as friends as we work towards a common purpose. This is the same desire that God has for us. He wants to work with you towards a common purpose. And as you work together, even though it's inefficient, even though you may fail in the relationship, as we work with him, we grow in relationship. And that is the heartbeat of God, to grow together in a loving relationship. 
We hear this biblical emphasis often on the call and the value of good work. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship. God has put us together. We are part of, of this creation that he has made. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is, there is a life that God is calling you to. There is a a richness of relationship with Jesus that he invites you into. And there is a task, there is a a calling, life, um, that he invites you, calls you to participate in with him. There's a large sense of that in terms of us as the priesthood of all believers. We are called to bear God's image, to, to gather the praise of creation, and then to also live out God's character and purposes in the world. But we're also God's workmanship. We're, we're a new creation in Christ. When you come to Jesus, you are made new. You are born again. And he has created you and is recreating you, resurrecting you to live out the calling he has for you. There's a purpose to your life. But how will you respond to that call? How will you respond to that invitation? That's the question. Moses' response to the call of God is to resist it. Verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And we end up getting this back and forth exchange around five different points, five ways Moses tries to back out of this. There's two here in chapter 3 and then three more in chapter 4. And Tony Merida, in his uh, commentary, he frames Moses' resistance here with five C's. In verse 11, Moses says, I lack the credentials for this mission. Who am I to go? In verse 13, Moses says, I lack the content. What am I to say? In chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, I have a lack of confidence. What if they don't believe me? In chapter 4, 10, Moses says, I have a lack of communication skills. I don't know how to say this. In verse 4, chapter 4, verse 13, Moses says, I lack the commitment to do this. So when God calls us, it's not always a, an easy sort of, yes, God, here I go. Here we're given a clear picture of, of a man of God who very much resists the call, says, I, I can't do it. I don't think I have what it takes. He has a lack of credentials, lack of content, lack of confidence, lack of skills, communication skills, and a lack of commitment. And yet to each of these points, God responds. In verse 11, Moses says, I lack the credentials. Who am I? God says, I'll be with you. You are who you are in and through me. Verse 13, Moses says, I have a lack of content. What do I say? God says, I am who I am. You tell them it's me who's sending you. Don't worry about that. It's me who's sending you. In in the place of Moses' lack of confidence, God says, watch this and shows him how he will use him. Moses says, I lack the communication skills. God says, I made you and your mouth. Moses says, I lack the commitment to do this. God says, I'll bring someone to help, but you will still do this. See, Moses' response to God is just like us. God, I can't do the thing you're calling me to do. I'm not qualified. Maybe I don't want it. I'm not skilled in this. They won't like me. They won't trust me. 
And yet God says, the mission that I'm giving you is not for you to go about on your own. I will bring this to pass in you. Folks, God does not involve us in his mission or call us into positions without also equipping us and going with us into the task at hand. When Jesus sends the disciples, what does he say? Behold, I am with you always. The call of God in our lives is never a call to go it alone. It's a call to go deeper in him as we live out the Christian mission, together with the family of God. What does it look like for God to call you and I? Let's look again at these verses. Verse 6, although Moses is in exile from his household in Egypt, he's estranged from his people uh, from birth, from killing the Egyptian, God reveals himself as the God of your fathers. God is showing Moses here your identity is primarily part of being Abraham's line. And God has pledged himself to Abraham's descendants. God will respond towards his people and he will be the one to instruct Moses what to say towards Pharaoh. In establishing his calling, Moses reestablishes, or God reestablishes Moses' identity. Who am I, says Moses. God says, you're part of the people of God. You are not just the sum of your past mistakes. You are in relationship with me. Friends, the greatest affirming source of your identity, it's not your family name. It's not what you've done. It's not the size of your bank account or lack thereof. It's whether or not you are in relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the one who establishes who we are and what we are called to be. We're called to live in light of him, to live as he is our Lord. I don't live for my country. I don't live for the sports I might enjoy. I don't live for my career, though I enjoy it. I don't even live first and foremost for my family, though I've been blessed with them. I live first and foremost for Jesus, my Lord. He is my savior. And I'm called to behave in a way that honors him. And when I get my, my loves ordered correctly, when I put Jesus at the top of my life, he calls me to be a good husband and father. The family part gets sorted out right. He calls me to be faithful and, and wise and committed to my work. The, the career and calling stuff gets worked out right. He calls me to uh, enjoy the goodness of creation and to rest Uh, and to be replenished in my life. So he calls me to enjoy some of the things that I do enjoy in my life. Do you see when we reset those orders, when something else takes the throne of my heart, I can make it an idol. But when I put Jesus at the center of my life, everything else properly falls into place. God calls us first to remember that we are who we are in him. Moses' first question in verse 11 Who am I that I should go? It's a great question. Who am I, right? He's been genuinely humbled. He's been shepherding these sheep now for 40 years. But notice God's response. He doesn't actually say, well, you're pretty awesome. I think you can do it. What he has said is, well, you're part of the family of God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you're part of that family. He doesn't say, Moses, you just got to believe in yourself more. He says, no, no. Realize who I am, Moses. This is about looking to God. It's not about how great Moses is. 
It's about how great God is. Who am I? Well, look to Jesus. Let Jesus inform you of who you truly are. Some of us have terrible self-esteem. We're so down on ourselves. Others of us, we can be overconfident to the point we become arrogant. But here's this healthy posture. It's not self-deprecation. It's not pride. Moses is capable to the task because God is with him. Moses is able to engage despite the brokenness of his past because God has found him and is willing to work with him. We are most fully ourselves when we are in Jesus. Christianity is not about having false hope saying, I'm just terrible. Christianity is not about being elitist and thinking, well, we're really perfect. We've got it all together. Christianity is about following the risen Christ and abiding in him, learning to love him faithfully all the days of our lives and to live for him. God answers the question, who am I? By saying, I'll be with you. It's the presence of God that is essential to Moses' call and life. And I want to ask, is the presence of God central to your life today? I pray that he is. It's God's power and presence that enable Moses to fulfill his calling. God's identity, who God is, is more important than Moses' broken identity. Who God is takes precedent, can undo the brokenness, can cover our sins, can heal our broken identities. And so when we come to Jesus, when we come to the cross, we come as broken people, not earning it, but realizing our fault, realizing how much we need him. It's Jesus and who he is, the fullness of God, the fullness of God's compassion and mercy and grace, covering, embracing, washing us clean, calling us to new life in him. Who am I, says Moses. God says, look to me to know who you truly are. The second question, verse 13, Moses says, well, what's your name? It's a great question. Who do I say is sending me? Moses had grown up in the polytheism, the pantheism in and around Egypt. Lots of gods with the idea that um, there is no God. Everything's got the divine within it. So who's the identity of this one true God? And in ancient cultures, to know a person's name is to know something essential about them. Moses knows he was rejected the last time he tried to intervene. How does he explain his return? How will he explain that he's not just coming of his own volition, but that someone is sending him? Who do I say you are? Who do I say is sending me? And in response, God says, I am who I am. It's a very close, this is similar to, to Yahweh. It's very close to the Hebrew verb to be. There's a whole range of meanings here. I am who I am. means God is incomparable. He has no equal. He's equivalent only to himself. It means he's self-existent, that he is life itself. He's the only one who truly is. It means he's the creator and sustainer of all life. Anything that has life is done so through his divine breath. You see that in Genesis 1 and 2. It means that God is eternal and unchanging. He relies on nothing else for life or existence. He is life within himself. He doesn't need us. 
God is all that we need in a given moment. He's the light in our darkness. He's the freedom to our bondage. It's Jesus who we need in our, in our lives. His name announces his presence. And we, in our lives, need to invite others to come and experience Jesus for themselves. And I encourage you today to ask God to reveal himself through his word and by his spirit. God will reveal himself to you, the I am who I am. Verses 14 to 18 then, we see the plan unfold. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you saying, I have observed you and what you have done to what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Moses is to go gather the elders of Israel. They will receive him this time. There will be a reception as Moses is welcomed back to his people. God is going to go with them. And then they're going to start to confront the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. Let us go and worship. Notice it's a three-day worship retreat that they're first asking for. Verse 19, God says, I know that he won't let you go unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. God knows that Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. And so God says, I'm going to have to stretch out my hand. The wonders that will come, it's only then that he will let you go. And eventually, Egypt will actually send you out with gifts, almost like paying them back for their years of servitude. So God has called Moses. He's reestablished Moses' identity. He's established his own identity. And now the plan has been set up. God is going to do this incredible rescue mission for his people. What are some of the implications of all of this for us? First of all, there's so much here about God that's vital for us to know of, of who God reveals himself to be. And I think, again, of, of what we talked about right at the beginning, that God longs to speak to us. Are we willing to listen? Are we able to listen? Can we turn aside from what we are doing? Are our hearts... Um, prompted, oriented to be able to hear God when God wants to speak? Do we take the time to sit and to listen to God? God, we also hear a lot about God's character. So there's a prompt here to engage with God. There's a prompt here to also remember who God is, that he is separate from us. He is holy, but he is not distant. He is uh, full of compassion and love. And he wants to deliver his people. In this case, we also know God's heart is to deliver us out of sin, out of our brokenness, out of our oppression, out of our addictions, and into his life and his love. The other thing that's great for us to remember is that God loves working and participating in his uh, task of redemption 
in and through us. God loves to work with you even in your frailties. And the other thing that I think is so important for us to remember is that God calls us to himself and his presence in our lives uh, is the key to understanding who I truly am. It's in Jesus that I discover my true calling, my true identity. God's going to go much further in revealing himself. He's going to come in the person of Jesus. He's going to come and live relationally with us. And in Jesus, all through his ministry, he connects actually back to this chapter. He often will say, I am, and actually fills in what that means. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He's using the same idea here as what God, as what Yahweh refers to himself in Exodus 3. In fact, in John 8, 58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And when that happens, the Pharisees get ready to kill him. Well, why? Why do they do that? Because they know what he's trying to do. They know what Jesus means. Jesus is claiming to be the voice from the burning bush. He's claiming to be God himself. Perhaps the most dramatic place Jesus uses the phrase is in John 18. The guards are coming to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's the question, are you Jesus? Are you he? And he says to the soldiers, I am. And they fall down backwards. They're thrown down by the divine authority and power of that declaration. Jesus is the I am. You are beckoned to see and to hear the voice from the burning bush today. And you can come and heed the presence of God by coming to Jesus even in this moment and asking him to come and to speak. I'm indebted to David Guzik, Pastor Guzik, for this next thought. He puts it this way. He says, just like the bush... Jesus himself will, on the cross, take on the fire of God's wrath against human sin, but he will not be consumed by it. Three days later, he will rise again in victory and life. Friends today, if you want to know God, draw close to the Good Shepherd. Draw close to the I Am, Jesus Christ. He's the God who calls us who comes alongside us in our lives, who's made us, uh, made a, a way that is uh, welcome, made himself accessible and in relationship through Christ. And he calls us to receive him and to know him and to love him. You're never too old to be called by God. He is not distant or uncaring. He is holy. He is good. He is full of compassion. And he is here with you in the midst of whatever's going on in your life right now. There's a task at hand. There may be something before you that you're facing. There may be questions you're asking. There may be worry, doubt. There may be brokenness. There may be questions of identity. Who am I? There may be questions of decision-making. What am I supposed to do with my life? But God is calling. And God calls us just as he called Moses into a deeper relationship and a deeper trust in himself question is will you hear him will you turn aside to listen and as you choose to listen allow God to speak and will you come to the place of realizing even in your frailties and your brokenness God still calls you and still welcomes you to himself 
My question for us as we close is, let's open our hearts to God. Will we open our hearts to hear from him today? And will we then not resist the call he has for us? But will we lean into it? Will we live for Jesus today, the I am who speaks from the burning bush and who now by his spirit speaks to each and every one of us as we turn to listen to him. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray over my friends here today, each one that's listening, that you would call each one to yourself, that you would speak Speak from the bush, Lord, and give uh, your assurance, your comfort, your grace to each one. I pray first, Lord, you would give each one a desire to hear from you, a willingness to cultivate a life which leans upon you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would speak. Lord, speak with clarity. Open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, help us to scrape out time in our days for your word and for prayer. Lord, I pray that we would lean on you for the questions of who we are and the questions of what we're to do with our lives, questions of calling, questions of mission. And Jesus, I pray that we would not resist your answers to those questions as Moses did. And even if we do, even when we are caught off guard, Lord, by what you call us to do, I pray that we would rest in the goodness of who you are, in your faithfulness, and in your grace towards us. Jesus, today we give you thanks that you have come to set us free from our brokenness, to deliver us out of our slavery to sin. And you've come uh, to call us into a new life with yourself. Thank you, Lord, that the frailties of our past, you are willing to work with, with broken people. You cover our sins, and you come to restore and to redeem. Lord, many of us carry hurts and brokenness and guilt and shame. But Jesus, today we lay this at your feet. We pray that you would bring healing to our lives, to our marriages, to our families. And Lord, give us insight and wisdom to navigate the task at hand, the issue before us. We look to you, Lord, and we pray that you would establish your kingdom in our hearts as we look to you. And with the words you taught us, we pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.